Last week we talked about some of the dangers associated with, with misusing or, or using inappropriately or exploiting it for our own selfish and personal needs or reasons, this, this sex. And we, we said that, that to do that, to, to get it wrong, to, to use sex in a way other than the way that God intended it was to, to set yourself up for trouble later or to, to hurt yourself. We learned last week that the sexual sin, it affects us differently than other sins because it, it, it impacts the, the offended as well as the offender. And so we, we learned all that last week. If you weren't with us, I'd encourage you to, to go back and uh, you can find old sermons on Facebook and YouTube and on our website. There, there are a couple of different places. But if you weren't with us last week, I'd encourage you to go and kind of catch up with us and to understand kind of where we're coming from. Last week was, was kind of like the, 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 the what not to do, is what it's not about and what it's not for. And this week is kind of the exact opposite of that. We're talking about what sex is supposed to do and how it's supposed to be entered and how it's supposed to enter into and how it's supposed to be understood and all that other kind of stuff. We're going to talk about God's purpose for sex. Now, I wanted to, I wanted to give this caveat um, before, we, before we get in. Um, in what we typically do here at Fusion is we teach you, we teach you what the Bible says about what God says, but about every topic that we can, we can think to, to present you with. And we're showing you what it looks, we're showing you the truth, what it looks like when you get it right, what it looks like when you handle it appropriately, what it looks like when you manage things the way that God intended. We're showing you the truth of God's word. And, and I know that when we do that, well, what, what can take place is that when we tell you how it should be and what God says, how God says it should work, then for some of us, man, we, we've gotten that wrong. We've, we've messed that up. We've gotten things out of order. We, we've done things inappropriately or not according to God's design. And I, I know that, that sometimes that, that can bring on feelings of, of shame and of guilt and of, man, I'm just damaged goods or whatever that looks like, feels like in, in your own head and your own heart and your own mind. Here's what I want you to know. There is nothing that you can get so wrong that God doesn't love you and that God can't make something beautiful out of your life. So if you, when we talk about, hey, you're supposed to wait till you get married to have sex, and you're like, oops, eh. like, nope, not, not my story. Hey, God redeems, and he restores, and he renews. And we want to get things as much right as we can, that's true. But God is a God of, of healing, and of restoration, and of renewing, and of redemption. That's what God does. And so you are never too far gone, never too so far wrong that God can't begin writing a, a new story with the next chapter. So just all, as we go through this series, there's going to be a lot of that. What it's supposed to look like. And if you didn't meet the supposed to, just know you're never too far gone that God can't fix it. Now, we said last week, we said last week that God has a design for sex. And because he is the creator, we can have the creation debate some other time. If you don't believe that God created everything, come and talk to me. We can have the discussion. If you don't believe God created it, you're probably going to lose because I'm pretty sound on that stuff. But, um, but, but God, we, we believe it in the church as followers of Christ. We believe that God created everything that we can see. He created humans. He created this thing that we know to be sex. We talked about that last week. This was God's idea. And because it was God's idea, 
He gets to determine what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to be used. We, we learned something together in a series that we did last year called um, Real Answers to Big Questions. We, we had that series last, last year um, and we, we took away a thought from that and I wanted to bring it back today and, and to reiterate that thought and it's this thought if you wanna write it down. The one who designed it gets to define it. Whoever designed it gets to define it. The creator determines the role and the function of the created. That's just how things work. And this isn't, this isn't just applicable to sex. It's not just applicable to marriage. As a matter of fact, I think this is a good, this is like a good thing for us to like apply to every facet of our life. And so what I thought would be cool is if all, can we just say that together, like that phrase that's on the screen, that we're going to say together, the one who defined, or designed it gets to define it. All right, we're going to say it together. All right, on, on three. One, two, three. The one who designed it gets to define it. So in your marriage, because God designed marriage, what is, what is true? The one who designed it gets to define it. In your parenting, what, what, what's true? The one who designed it gets to define it. In, in your work ethic, how you perform your vocation, what's true? The one who designed it gets to, def it's true for everything. That the designer gets to define how something is used. Now, I want to drive this point home, no pun intended, because we're going to drive some nails. See, see what I did there? We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna nail this. Um, I, need a, I need a handy person. I need a, a, a man or a lady who is confident in driving nails. Anybody? Volunteers, this group participation. If you don't come up here, I will, call, I will select somebody. Um, Joe, we already gave you some money today. Come on, man. Um, Joe, you, you good with a hammer? You good? You good with driving nails? All right, cool. Um, so, Joe, I need you to drive these three nails. There you go. And yeah, that's just not, are you going to mess? That's, that's my good <laughs> screwdriver, man. Screwdrivers weren't meant for, well, so what do you need? I need a hammer. You need a hammer. All right, cool. I got a hammer. There you go. All right, that, that doesn't work yet. Why not? Okay. So, so, what's, so, so what kind of hammer do you need? I need a framing hammer. You need a framing hammer that's made out of what? Metal. You need a metal hammer. I got you a metal hammer. There you go. Nah, nah, no, 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 none of these are going to work, right? Because this is, because what is true, and Joel, I'll give you a chance to prove your manliness. Um, what is true is that the world, before you, before you hammer that, let me, get, let, me, let, me, let me preach for a minute, let me preach for a minute. The world is going to tell you that there are, there are all different kind of ways that it can work. And some of them, man, they look really close to, to what is the actual thing and the way that it was designed to work. They'll, they'll, they'll give you a facsimile. They'll tell you, hey, it's good enough. It's close enough. It's, it's a metal hammer. It should work. Like they're going to tell you that that is the premise that the world is going to present to us, not just in regards to sex, but in regards to everything. But what is always true is that there is one best way, one preeminent truth and it's God's way the one who designed it nails get hammered by hammers and big nails get hammered by framing hammers go ahead Joe you, you, you got it go ahead man there's two more we got we got a minute hurry up though 
Look at that. Y'all give Joel a hand. That's a manly man right there. <laughs> the one who designed it, designed it with a way that it was supposed to work. And it's his job to do that. And it's he who gets to tell us what is and what is not the way that it should be used. I didn't bring linesman pliers up here because I hammer nails for those things all the time, but they weren't designed for that. As a matter of fact, I learned the hard way for, with a lifetime warranted set of tools that if they can prove that you didn't use it in the way that you were supposed to, they don't warranty it because it wasn't designed for that. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at the three purposes that God custom built into the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. So you got three of these. They all start with P. I get so excited when things are alliterated. So I was, I was pretty pleased when, when I was able to make all of these start with the same letters. So let's start, let's start with the easy one. Let's start with the one that everybody knows. God's first purpose for sex is this. It's procreation. Sex makes babies. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. That's not the time for this that conversation. If you didn't know that, see me in the hall after. And I hit in the head with this hammer that I brought on stage. Because you, there's some things that we just know, right? We just know that this is true. But, but and I'll, I'll tell you this at the onset. This became a bigger part of my sermon today than I anticipated. Because I thought this was low-hanging fruit. Everybody knows this. Sex makes babies. And everybody knows that according to scripture, that like that's supposed to be saved from marriage. Like that's, that's easy. This is the easy one. Let's hit it and, and move on to the other ones. But, but, but here's what I want you to see. The first institution that God ever created was marriage. Right? We know that. He brought Eve to Adam, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she'll be called woman. God put them together and the two became one flesh. That's the first marriage. That's the first institution, the first human institution was marriage. And the first function of the first institution was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's Genesis chapter 1 verses 27 and 28. Marriage and sex within it is for making children. Children are a gift. They are a gift and they should be treated as such with the preciousness and the value of a gift given to us by our heavenly father. Kids are a gift. I, look, I know sometimes they don't seem like a gift, but they are, they're a gift. However, even though Adam and Eve were commanded that they were, they were commanded to reproduce, to procreate, to multiply and fill the earth. It is not a command for all married couples. Much in the same way that God doesn't command anybody to get married. Paul, Paul says that singleness is a, is a gift. That, you, that not everybody was designed or created with the, with the need or the desire to be married. Marriage is, marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Children are a gift, and not everybody gets the same gifts. So, as, as a married couple, what should be the, the determining factor as to whether or not we have 
children. Because I think there should be a why. It's a pretty long-term investment. It's a pretty long-term commitment for the rest of your life. You're going to be a parent. I just don't think that that is something that we should enter into on a whim. I think there should be, I think there should be a why. And so I, I got to thinking about it. And I don't know that even my wife and I ever had a conversation about why we wanted children. We knew that we wanted children, but we, I don't know that we could have articulated when we were in, you know, in the child raising year. I don't, I don't know that we could have articulated why. So let me, let me ask, just think, just think to yourself, why did you have kids? For those of you that have them, why did you do it? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't suppose or even take a stab or, or even try to believe that I could come up with all of your reasons for why having kids. I don't know if, we, if people decide to have kids because it's just the thing to do. Like you get married, you're supposed to have a couple of kids. It's just, it's just what you're supposed to do. I don't know if it's because I just have all this love in my heart and I need somewhere to, like, you, you could get a puppy for that, whatever. But don't, like, I ain't even gonna get started on people that call their pets kids. That's a whole nother sermon for another day. But it might explain why some people don't understand the value of parenting if they can consider that. Anyway, so I'm preaching that, I can't preach that sermon. I ain't got time for it. But, but I wonder if, like, what is the rationale? Why do, why do we choose? Because it's a big decision and it's a big commitment, but I don't know that we ever take the time to think about why. Or, or, or why not? Like, I mean, people that don't have kids and don't want kids, and I'd love, I'd love to know why. Like, what was the rationale behind the decision? And so, even though this is like the simplest of, yep, marriage, you know, sex makes babies, sex happens in marriage, like that's the overarching. But I wanted to add, I wanted to add a layer of thought for us to this, to maybe begin to think about why we choose or why we chose, or, or maybe we didn't have a why, maybe we should have. So can I, give you, can I give you a framework for decision-making, particularly as it pertains to whether or not you should or shouldn't have children? And for a lot of us, like, Decision a little too late for that. I got two already. If I didn't know why, it's a little late. And we'll talk about that in a second. But can I give you the framework for not just why we make decision about children, but how we make every decision? There's a verse for it. Actually, there's a lot of verses for it. But let me give you the one that I think summarizes it the best. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It says, so whether, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of of God. Do it all for the glory of God. That is our marching orders including whether or not we decide to have children. If we decide to have children it should be for the glory of God. Every decision in our life should be made from this premise, how can I honor God with this decision? Now, for a lot of us, if we're being honest, if we're being honest and we're being honest, and I asked you to come think about it, what was your why? For a lot of us, our decision to have children is probably at a foundational level selfish. Ooh, it looks like me. I can teach you to do all the fun things that I enjoyed doing when I was a little boy. 
I didn't have boys. I didn't get that. Whatever. Like, th- th- there are lots of reasons. It, I, I don't feel complete. I want to love something that's going to love me back. I, again, I wouldn't dare to assume that I could come up with all the reasons that we have children. But I'd be willing to take a stab at saying that for a lot of us, the decision to have children probably wasn't completely and solely rooted in this idea of I can honor God the best by having children. But here's what I want you to know. We're never commanded to have children, but we are commanded to make disciples. Sorry, that was for effect. That was supposed to be, that was supposed to be a really powerful point. I missed the timing. We're never called to make offspring. We're commanded to make disciples. You can write this down. We're not commanded. We are commanded. We are commanded to make disciples. Not, I'm, I'm, I'm off. We are commanded to make disciples, not offspring. The, the decision as to whether or not we should have children should never be because the world needs more people. That's not true. The world doesn't need more people. And God didn't design our, our ability and the gift of having children to be so that the world would have more people. That was true for Adam and Eve. It's no longer true for us because we are no longer commanded to just make people. We are commanded to make disciples. That decision should begin before we decide whether or not we're going to have children. That, that the, I, I believe, and this is radical for, to, for this day and age. Nobody thinks like this. It's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. Nobody thinks like this. But what if we could, as followers of Christ, begin to make the decision that the reason I want to have children is so that I can multiply the worship of God in the earth. Because this is also true, and this, you should absolutely write this down, learn this, know this, commit it to heart and memory. There is no greater method for discipleship than parenting. Churches have been writing discipleship curriculum for decades and decades and decades. And there is no better way to disciple another person than to be their parent. And if you are a follower of Christ... That's what you're signing up for when you have kids. That you will be their, the one that disciples them. Having kids is not just what we're supposed to do. You shouldn't have them just because it's, the, it's, what, it's, what, it's what we do. We just have kids. No, we should have kids because the desire of our heart is to see the worship and the celebration of God multiply in the earth. And if I choose to have children, there is no, there's no more relational influence connection than between a parent and a child. It is the best opportunity to create a disciple of Christ. It's about, be, it's about being their, their parent who teaches them to love Christ. So let me ask, again, remember the beginning of the message, not all of us got this right. Probably not even most of us got this right. But we have a chance today to begin writing a new chapter. Is the primary motivation of your parenting to create better followers of Christ that look more and more and more like Jesus? 
And if that is not the goal of your parenting, I challenge you in this moment right now to decide that is gonna be the direction, the purpose, and the drive of our parenting is to make disciples of Christ. Parenting, I believe, should feel more like a calling than a supposed to happen kind of thing. It's something that you're, that you're called to. And I know that for a lot of people, a lot of married couples, they feel called to, to disciple. They feel called to, to, to lead a, a next generation of followers of Christ. And for some, that doesn't happen biologically. And there's a, I know that there's a, there's a tremendous amount of emotion and hurt and pain that comes along with, with that. So here's what I would say. Whether you decide to have kids or not, that if you decide not to, it should be so that your life could better honor and glorify God. That we have a, we have a calling on our life that, that, that children would, would inhibit. That there, there's a, a ministry that God is leading us to that children would, would prevent us from participating in. Therefore, we decide as, as followers of Christ not to have kids for the glory of God. They, they, every decision should be made for the glory of God. And then if you decide that, that I want to be, we feel as a married couple that God is leading us to have a child in our lives so that it can be disciples, so that we have the opportunity through direct influence to, to lead the next generation to follow Christ. If, you, if that is something that God is leading you to and calling you to, if it's not happening biologically, because I know that in this day and age, through God's will and his sovereignty, he decides who gets the gift of biological children and who, 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 who don't. That's up to him. He, he decides those things. If you are called to be a parent and it's not happening or hasn't happened biologically, could I, could I impress upon you? Could I encourage you and challenge you to consider adoption? I think it's one of the greatest things in the world because, because not everybody thinks like those in the church. And there are people out there having children who don't want them and they're not going to grow up in a home where they're going to be discipled. Could I, could I encourage you and challenge you to consider adoption? My, my close friends, uh, Jake and Penny, they, they come to church here. They're, they're here this morning and in the room. And um, we, our connect group and our family and their family, we, we walked with them through, through infertility and through struggles. And we walked with them through, they, they decided to adopt. And we walked them, with them through the, the waiting and the, is it going to happen? And when, where, when's there going to be a baby? And when's it going to happen? And all this other kind of, and it was, it was a long and it was painful and it was, it, was, it, was, it was hard to watch that. But they knew. They knew that they were called to be parents. They knew it. And so they, they stayed the course. And right now, there's a little eight-month-old baby in our nursery that's going to grow up in a home where he's taught to love Jesus by parents who love him and love God, and he's going to be discipled by them and, and by, by, by a church family that, that loves them and loves him and loves God. It's all because they knew that the decision was we want to honor God in our decision whether or not to have a baby or not. And when it didn't happen biologically, that didn't remove the calling. And now there's a little boy that's going to grow up in a home with loving parents who teach him to follow Christ. Parenting is a calling. 
It doesn't have to be biological for it to still be family. Because we're not called to make offspring. We're called to make disciples. Now, marriage is for making children. It's a gift associated and affiliated with marriage. But, you know, God came up with dozens and dozens and dozens of other ways for other species and whatever to reproduce. Sex didn't have to be fun for humans, but it is. Which brings us to the second of God's purposes for sex, which is this, pleasure. Pleasure. God intended sex for married couples to be fun. Now, everybody that I know likes to make a big deal about who wears the pants in relationships. What I want you to hear and understand this morning is that sometimes the best marriages are when nobody's wearing the pants, right? Because sex was intended to be fun. God is not a prude. It was his idea. He knew. He knew what he was doing when he made it. And culture has has corrupted it and and told you that it's supposed to be something else and that that sex in marriage is not fun. As a matter of fact, it's completely backwards. God's way of dealing and handling with sex is completely backwards from the way that the world tells you that it should work. They're going to give you all kinds of other ways that it's supposed to work and it could work, and it's completely backwards from the way that God set it up. My brother uh, this week in our Connect group told us, follow the chain, my brother told me about a, a video clip that he saw on social media of another preacher who said this. He told our connect group I thought it was gold and said I'm gonna steal that use it on Sunday I don't know who the pastor was so I can't give credit but I'm gonna tell his story because I thought it was great this is what he said he said culture will tell you culture tells you that before you get married when you're young when you when before before you get yourself locked down and settled into that ball and chain type relationship to get naked get naked get naked get naked do it now I'll have all the fun before you get married because once you get married the fun's over so get naked, get naked, get naked, get naked. And then when you get married, man, keep your clothes on, all right? Like nobody wants to see that. Old married people, uh, uh, like no, nobody, I like guess it's, it's supposed to be, you know, real mundane and ordinary and plain and boring because it's old married sex and it's the same person over and over at all. Oh man, just keep your clothes on. But God, God's way of handling sex is completely opposite. God says, before you get married, hey, look, keep your clothes on. Matter of fact, cover it up a little more. Stop with all the tight stuff and the revealing stuff, all right? Leave something to the imagination, right? Let, let people have to choose whether or not to engage their imagination to see what you look like naked. Like, let's, let's put some clothes on before you get married. Then, when you get married, get naked, get naked, get naked. It's supposed to be fun for married couples. And the Bible actually talks about it. I don't, I don't know how, how, many, how much y'all know about how many verses there are in the Bible about how sex should be fun. I wanted to read you a couple. The, the whole book of Song of Solomon, first of all. Like I'm not even getting into Song of Solomon. We'll cover that in week five of the series. The whole book, like all of it, just romance. It's like a did y'all know, and this, is, I don't, this ain't in my notes and I'm running out of time. Did y'all know that for, like, for Jewish boys in, like, before like, Old Testament, kind of, that they wouldn't let Jewish young men read the Song of Solomon? They thought it was X-rated. Right, just, just food for thought. All right. Um, I did want to read you two verses, one from Proverbs 5 and one from 1 Corinthians 7. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Uh, this is probably Solomon actually writing this, who said, 
Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice, enjoy, rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Y'all, that's in the Bible. Because sex was meant to be fun. Enjoy, rejoice in your wife. Let, let her be captivated by her. And then Paul in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through the first part of 5, says the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife, watch this, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Did you know your bodies didn't belong to you if you're married? That is your spouse's playground. Uh Uh-huh, I said it. He goes on. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Don't, don't stop. Don't deprive, don't hold out. Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a, watch this, limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Because I know that's why y'all stop. Let's pray. Amen. All right. (laughs) Look, God wanted us to enjoy our spouses. And we're having fun and I'm I'm goofing around a little bit up here, but don't miss this. Sex and marriage, it's not supposed to be boring and mundane and commonplace. And if that is the case for you, you miss something along the way. Somewhere your, your, your schedule or your relationship or your connection with you, it, it got out of balance. Maybe, maybe you bought into the lie that sex and marriage is boring and mundane and eh, just, you know, you're supposed to have all the sex when you're young and, you know, it's fun then, it's just boring when you're, it's not true. It's not true. Paul said it. And don't, don't, don't let this, don't let this, don't let this go away. If you're writing stuff down, you can write this down. Sex for married couples, it should be fun and frequent. That's what Paul said. Don't deprive limited time, like limited, limited time between. It should be frequent. And it should be fun. You should enjoy, rejoice in your wife, rejoice in your husband. Their body is yours and your body is theirs. And like, that's just, that's just how, like, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. Because God's purpose for sex was pleasure. It's supposed to be enjoyed. He created it that way. That's the design. And if we're participating in that in a way that is inconsistent with the design, then something's wrong with us, not the design. It should be enjoyed. God's third purpose. Protection. Protection. Back to the, the same verse that we just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Paul says, do not deprive each other 
of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that, y'all remember cause and effect stuff? So that, because, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, let me, be, let me be clear. You are never responsible for somebody else's sin. We good? Y'all, hear, y'all heard that, right? I, I look at, if you're not looking at me, look at me. You are not responsible for somebody else's sin. You are responsible as much as you are able to help other people stay away from sin. Does that make, you guys understand the difference? If you have a spouse or had a spouse or whatever that cheated, that got caught up in pornography, that had some other kind of sexual immorality find its way into their life, you are not responsible for the choices and the decisions that they make. But Paul says, if we don't deprive our spouse, if we don't stay away from each other except for a limited amounts of time, if, if, if it's fun and frequent, that it protects us from temptation. It should be an active part of your marriage so that it helps to protect your spouse from other attacks of the enemy. Because we have an enemy that wants to completely disrail or derail and disregard everything that God has to say about marriage and about sex. It is true that a healthy sexual rhythm to our lives helps to alleviate opportunity for Satan to tempt you and to tempt them. You are not responsible for their sin but you are responsible to help others not sin as much as, that's true inside and outside of your marriage. You're supposed to help everybody not sin as much as you're able. But you have a great amount of influence and a great amount of opportunity in your marriage to create an environment that helps your spouse not sin. So, um, application for, for today. Let's, let's talk practicality. Because I got to, as I was writing all this, all this sermon content and thinking through this, it's like, man, like, what am I asking people to do? Like, what, what, what should you do with this? And so, um, three, three points, right? Three things. One, disciple your children. If you made them, help to make them like Christ. That should be the goal. First Corinthians 10, whatever you do, eat, drink, what. Whatever you do, do all of it for the glory to God. If we did not decide to have children because we wanted to make disciples, now is the opportunity to change your mind. I had them for some kind of selfish reason or because I wanted a legacy. I wanted my name. Oh, how about this? How about instead of your name being the name that carries on, how about the name of Christ that carries on in your children because you chose to become a discipler of your children? And we want to help you as a church. We have all kinds of tools and resources and help. We can help you disciple your children, but it is not our job. Tracking? 
right? Remember that whole thing? It's not, I'm not responsible for somebody else's sin. I am not responsible to disciple your children. The church is not responsible to disciple your children. You are. We'll help you. We'll help you not sin. We'll help you disciple your children. But it's on you, parents, to lead your children to be more like Christ. We'll help you. That's what we're here for. But it's you. Disciple your children. Number two, if there is something missing in the relationship between you and your spouse, please talk about it. It's, it's going to be awkward and it's going to be probably just weird and difficult to talk about sex and frequency and whether it's boring or not. And, but have the conversation. Who cares if it's awkward and weird? It's your marriage. It's your marriage. Help your spouse not sin. Work together to create an environment that fosters intimacy and the best tool for that is sex and if it's something is off in your relationship between you and your spouse do the work to get it right we'll help you with the conversation i was about to say we'll help you and realize that was gonna be weird we'll help you with the conversation and we'll leave the rest up to you we'll help you with the conversation, if, um, if you've gotten some stuff wrong and you, you've failed to protect your spouse and yourself, repent. Repent. Repent means to, to swear it off, to turn away, and to live differently. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed, James 5, 16. Confess. And then change the way that you behave and you operate and you function so that it never happens again. Tell your spouse, I'm sorry. I know I messed up and I can't change it, but I want to fix it. And begin to live differently. I think if we get those things right, then we'll see the quality of our marriages improve. Because it was, it was God's design. He came up with all of this. We, get it, we do it his way. We end up with a marriage that is tightly connected together, held together by the strongest bonds possible. But we got to do it his way. If Joe would use any other of those tools, this board ain't going to stay. When we do it the right way, our marriages, they stick and they stay and they do so for a lifetime. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the, the truth of your word. God, we thank you for who you are, for how you love us, and God, for the wisdom that you've communicated to us through your word. And God, I know that none of us get this 100% right 100% of the time. But God, would you help us? Would you help us to write a better story in the next chapter by the way that we submit ourselves to the truth of your word, by the way that we submit ourselves to the design 
that you had in mind for our marriages, for our relationships, for our parenting, for our finances. God, for every facet of our lives, would you help us to align ourselves more closely with what you've directed us to? And God, we thank you. Thank you so much, God, that when we do that, it ultimately works out for our best anyway. And so, Father, we thank you for having our best in mind when you drew up this whole thing that we call life. So, Father, thank you for your guidance, for your wisdom. Holy Spirit, we, we ask you now to lead, direct, and guide us to, to be molded and melded more into the image of our Savior Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen and amen.